The following message is from Bear Creek Church. More information about BCC is available at bearcreekchurch.org. Let's pray. Father, just as our hearts have swelled with joy at the sound of these wonderful songs, so would you brush the cobwebs from our mind and captivate them as our pastor opens your word to us now. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit, I ask this. Amen. You may be seated and find a copy of the Gospel of John, chapter 11. That's where our text is found. John, chapter 11. After taking a couple of weeks off to help us through the vagaries of the new year, Pastor Brian continues through John, chapter uh, through the Gospel of John. John eleven thirty eight. This text begins. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to them, unbind him and let him go. Thus far, the reading of God's word. Well, that's a a passage that we're familiar with, and I wonder, wow, how awesome. But I wonder if Mary and Martha would have chosen it. Would they, were they glad? Here's another way to put it. Were they glad that Jesus let their brother die? When they saw this awesome, this awesome event. Our circumstances, our desired outcome may come to an end. And faith looks to someone who transcends what we believe is best. And I'm sure they thought it would have been best if Jesus would have even spoke from a distance and healed their brother. And then that reality didn't come true. And yet they saw the glory of God. They saw what was best. So yes, it it may be too late for what you want, But with the eyes of faith, trusting in the goodness of God and his promises to us, isn't there always something more? 
Isn't there always an assurance that whatever it is, that because it's God's work, we'll have something better? You know, we can turn the lights on. There. Oh, I can see you now. There you are. Um, thank you. Uh, silly example, but I think, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a sports fan. And uh, I don't think Bill Shonley with the Blazers, I don't, think it, I don't think he coined the phrase, it's never over till it's over. That might have been Yogi Berra or something, somebody like that. But uh, I watched the Blazer game last night. Blazers were down by 12, or down by 5 with 12 seconds to go. Did you, any of you watch this? Down, down by 5, 12 seconds to go. Damian Lillard hits a three, and then they inbounds, they tie up the guy for a jump ball, and the, the guy they tied up was a slam dunk champion, so he could really leap. When they win the tap, goes to Lillard at the buzzer, hits another three, game over. It's never over till it's over. Well, in circumstances that actually matter, but then again, I think, you know, doesn't, don't you think God gives us the silliness of sports and moments like that, at least for, for those of us who, that, that that stirs in us? Some of you could just watch that and just sit there, oh well, whatever. Some of us are like, oh my goodness, I can't believe what I just saw, and we're, we're in awe of it. And for, for us... That's like a little picture. God's given us a little picture of awe and glory and yes, it's not over. But in circumstances that actually matter, with the knowledge that God is sovereign and that he promises to work all things for good in the lives of those who love him and are called according to his Purpose For us, yes, our desired outcome, it may actually be over. Our dream may be over. We may not know the outcome. We may be disappointed that we're not getting what we want. But in light of who God is, shouldn't we always have hope? Shouldn't we always expect in whatever God's timing It may be that what he has for us is better. I know that's uh, true in my life. And I've shared with you, you know, death of a child, all of Devin's surgeries. I would not choose it. I'm so glad God did it. It's better. Mary... And Martha, they would have gladly settled for their brother to be spared death and restored to health. And if they were given the choice, they would have they would have missed seeing the glory of Christ. They would have missed the very best, this awesome scene. For the Christian, it's never over because it's never over. God has never done. There is always something good and glorious to come. 
We desire a lot of good things. We desire companionship, a spouse, a child, a good occupation, fulfillment in life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And yet we may experience singleness and divorce, infertility, death, disability, unemployment, a frustrating job, chronic pain, the loss of our freedoms. And in any and every grief and pain and suffering, faith says it's not over. We may not know how this circumstance is good for us, but we should trust in a good God who promises that it will be. It's not over. Your life is not over because God has given you eternal life. And all that you're experiencing, it's purposeful. It's connected to the glory and joy that will be yours one day when you maybe see and understand a little better and praise and thank God for the difficulties and the sufferings in your life, just like I'm sure Mary and Martha did. Jesus said, take away the stone. And Martha, thinking it was over, didn't want to smell the reality of it being over. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? And Jesus knows that her seeing his glory is infinitely better than her brother being saved from death. And it's hard for us to comprehend this truth. And it requires a right view of our Savior and faith in Him. Oh, Martha, it's not over. Remember, I am the resurrection and the life. If you believe this, then you should know that it's never over. Because it's never over. There's always hope with me. My glory is never ending. And you will see it and you will enjoy it forever. Jesus gave Martha a lesson in faith. And something I I love about our Savior is that even though he is in absolute control, even though he knows the good outcome, still, what does he do? He He doesn't say, oh, come on, get over it. I'm going to make it better. Don't you trust me? No, he weeps with her. Our God took on human flesh, dwelt among us, hurts with us, sympathizes with us, cries with us. Oh, that's wonderful. Jesus wept. As wonderful as that is, to have a compassionate Savior who hurts with us, we also want Him, we want Him to move on and to take action, don't we? We don't want to stay there. Jesus is, yes, concerned about your sorrow, but He's also concerned about your faith, His glory, your joy in seeing it. Earlier when 
the disciples' boat was sinking before Jesus quieted the winds and the waves, what did he say? He said, why are you afraid, O you of little faith? And as Jesus was on his way to Bethany to raise Lazarus, what did he tell his disciples? He said, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I am glad that I was not there, so that you may believe. He's concerned about our faith. We often say seeing is believing. But to Martha, Jesus says, believe and you will see the glory of God. We have many challenges in life, and I love how Dr. Barnhouse encourages us saying this. It makes all the difference in the world if you lose your job and say this catastrophe is not for my dishonor and my hurt, but it's for the glory of God that Christ may be magnified. The doctor comes and says to you, I'm sorry to tell you that as far as I know, medical science can do absolutely nothing for you. Your case from our point of view is incurable. It's a wonderful thing to say, my father measured this. He it is that put the spoon to my lips The medicine may be a little bitter, but he knows what he's doing. He's the great physician, and he's the great resurrector. He's the one who constantly, who's constantly able to bring life out of death. And out of the death of my circumstances, he is able to bring the life of joy and victory and triumph. If we believe, we will see God's glory in the way that he provides in the way that he strengthens us, in the way that he saves us. And what a privilege that others might see his glory through your faith. Jesus is the object of our faith, yes, but in this story, I just want to think about some examples of Jesus' faith to us. First, we read that Jesus lifted up his eyes so that our so we would say our faith must look up to God Martha's eyes were looking down at the difficulties and all that she could see were obstacles all she could see was the reality the painful reality of her brother's grave was there any more that could be done she must have thought her eyes were filled with her circumstances, but Jesus gives an example to follow as he lifts up his eyes to God. Psalm 121, we began our call to worship this morning, encourages us, I lift up my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made, who made heavens and the earth. He is the creator. Nothing is too difficult for him. We need to lift up our eyes, our minds, our hearts to have a right perspective of God. And that perspective is helpful. We see the power. We see the loving care of God as we look to his word. And we're reminded that he is our help and he is at work. That it's not over. And we see the power and care of God as we look to what his creation communicates to us. This is what the hills are telling you. 
it's good for you to do. You know, I can remember um, a couple of occasions where Jen and I just get some really hard news. And sometimes I'll just say, let's go for a drive. And it's for this purpose. We'll take off south on I-5 and you get up in the mountains and um, behold the glory of God. And what does that what does that do to you? Or you go to the ocean and you just stand there in awe at what you see. And what does that do? It makes you feel really small, doesn't it? It should. When you take in something glorious and grand and majestic and you recognize God spoke this into existence and I feel so small and I want to feel small in those situations because then I think um, I'm just one person on this planet, one person throughout all of history. I'm not experiencing, yes, it's painful, yes, it's hard. Is it too difficult for God? My problems um, can be really big, but then they come into perspective when we take in something grand and glorious and majestic. When we're overwhelmed and we need to get our eyes off of the pavement, only seeing our problems, instead we need to see the bigness, the, the greatness of God. Lift up your eyes. Remind yourself that He is the one who measured the oceans in the palm of his hand. Weighs the mountains in his scales. And so is there anything too difficult for him? And he, the one who spoke all of this into existence, he loves us? He cares for you? He's mindful that he's even mindful of you? Incredible. Puts things into perspective. He loves you. He is for you. Lift up your eyes to the hills. From where does your help come? It comes from the Lord who made, who spoke all of this into existence. This is the one who is for you. And in light of this great truth... God's word rings true that your circumstances, they are light. They are momentary. So Jesus gives us an example of faith. He lifts up his eyes, takes the bigness of this situation to his father. A second example is that Jesus' faith displays a a bold confidence in God. So many people are confused about the meaning of faith, thinking that it's some strong, maybe even blind belief in the impossible? No. Not at all. With God, all things are possible, and He is the object of our faith. And so we lift up our eyes to our Creator who does not change, who is not limited in any of His perfections, who promises us good, we look to Him with bold confidence. Not to us and simply our desires or our feeble 
limited ability. Oh, so thankful it's not, I'm not looking to myself. What hope would that give us? We don't have faith in our faith, conjuring up confidence in ourselves and thinking that we can manifest our thoughts into reality. That's silly. Word of faith, prosperity gospel, it's not biblical. It's, that is humanistic sorcery. Biblical faith is not satisfied with our short-sighted desires. Biblical faith looks beyond this. It trusts in God's vantage point that he knows how to bring about a lasting joy and satisfaction in our lives. Instead of leaving it up to us where we'd do what? We'd settle. We'd settle for fleeting pleasures. Yes, we should follow Jesus' example of having a bold confidence in God, but we should also understand that we're not Jesus, and God has not given us the power to raise the dead. But God has promised us power to persevere with joy in every trial. And in this, we should boldly believe in God's power, even thanking Him in advance for the blessing that he will provide. So when you're hurting, be bold. Be confident in God. And thank him. Thank him for promising, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Thank him for promising that he will supply every need of yours according to the riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We may be standing before the death of our desired outcome, but we can have a bold confidence in God that thanks Him for the eventual display of His glory in our lives. The reality of Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, the reality of Jesus' own resurrection ought to give us great confidence in God. He is faithful to deliver us, not from the presence of trials and suffering, but he will deliver us from the power of evil and death and sin. We can know the resurrection power of God, which enables us to hope in him and go boldly to the throne in prayer. A third example to us in the faith of Jesus is that our faith is is a witness to the world around us. In verse 42, Jesus, it's kind of strange when we read this. This is his prayer, and this is included in his prayer, and he wants everyone to hear him pray, I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. He's praying that to the Father, and they're hearing this. Our prayers or our expressions of faith should point others to God and communicate the truth of His ability, drawing attention to His power and love and goodness. We're not looking for people to be in awe. Oh, that person is such a strong person. No. We don't want people in awe of us to think that we're mighty people of faith, but instead to be in awe of our God, 
who mightily works in weak vessels, putting his glory on display. Treasures in jars of clay. Let people see you trusting God. Let them hear your confidence in Him as you look to Him in the midst of your pain and your suffering. When Jesus prayed, there were many unbelieving Jews who had gathered around and He wanted everyone to hear. He wanted them to believe the gospel, that God is the one who had sent Him and was working through Him and doing what He did. Our faith should have a similar effect. It should encourage others to desire their own relationship with God through Christ. They should see our faith and they should wonder about the hope that is within us and ask and desire to have the same for themselves. Jesus is a great example of faith to us, but primarily He is the object of our faith. And oh, what an incredible sight. You know, we've read this story many times, I'm sure. But what an incredible sight it must have been to see Jesus walk up to Lazarus's tomb, calling for the stone to be removed and hearing him boldly pray, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me. And then to hear his loud command, Lazarus, come out. Can you imagine? Can you picture this? It should should give you, it should give us chills. It reminds me of going to a conference years ago up north, R.C. Sproul doing the holiness of God, and he's describing the the holiness of Christ in particular, and all of those accounts to where Jesus would do something miraculous and how odd it was that people's response would be, depart from me or I need to leave. One of us needs to leave because I'm a sinner in the presence of holiness. And he said something to the effect of, imagine if Jesus were to walk into the auditorium right now. And it struck me as being so strange because in the past, if someone had just said that without the context of Christ's holiness, I would have thought I would run up to him and give him a big hug and be happy to see him. But when he said that, I was shocked that I knew that if that were reality, I'd be on my face hiding from him because he is so powerful and awesome and holy. And this scene must have been exactly that. Chills. A sense of fear. Fear to be in the presence of such holy power as this... How weird, how freaky would it be to see this guy coming out of the tomb, wrapped in grave clothes, hopping, walking... What a strange scene. What would you do? Would you shout, you know, would it be like the, a sporting event where you're like, yes! Would you just cry? Would you fall on your face and hide? 
the sense of being in the presence of someone unlike anyone. Jesus shouts with a loud voice, not because he needed to be heard, but because he spoke with such divine power. This is the word. This is the voice that calls the universe into being. And now this same voice calls the dead back to life. Absolute power over the material world and the spiritual realm. A soul that had left its earthly tent is called back to dwell back into its body. So when your time comes and you face death, what a comfort to know that our Savior conquered death. Can you imagine how Lazarus must have felt the second time around on his deathbed? Once again, probably still feeling a bit uneasy. And yet, think of thinking about what he experienced. How he understood that Jesus was resurrection, life, that he was not going to go to the grave alone. And we know the same thing about Jesus, not because we've returned from the dead, but because of the witness of God's word. So trusting in Jesus, it's possible for us to lie down on our deathbeds, confident of rising again. Our faith is in Jesus, who has defeated the grave. And this story of Lazarus speaks to both our physical resurrection and you've experienced a spiritual resurrection if you know him. John emphasizes the voice of Jesus. And by his call in the gospel, as it's preached, as it's shared or read, we see its power. Earlier in this gospel, Jesus taught, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And in 1 Peter we read, You you have been born again through the living and abiding Word of God. The call of Christ has power to raise the dead and to convert you and me. Many have said that Jesus spoke the name Lazarus, because if he had just said, come out, all of the graves would have opened and everyone would have come out. This is his specific call and there's power in his command. And if you're a Christian, Jesus commanded your spirit, come out from death to life. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 communicates this exact truth. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Spiritual resurrection. Jesus calls us personally through the gospel, drawing us with power so that we might believe and follow him. And let this reality Let it give you confidence as you share the gospel with someone. Now, of course, we want to get it right. We don't want to stumble over our words. We want to be accurate in presenting the message of the gospel. But ultimately, is it you? (laughs) Is it 
the precise way that you say it? Are you being persuasive? No. It's God's call, and He graciously uses your words. I know Jen is, you know, she had the joy of being used in the salvation of a couple of her high school friends. And um, she said, man, I look back now, my theology wasn't right at all, and I'm sure what I said was, but God used it. Shouldn't this truth give us confidence, a different attitude about evangelism, that it's not a dreadful duty, or that some people might be doomed to hell if we don't do it just right. No, Jesus graciously invites, he invites us to participate in the most amazing thing ever, someone's salvation, someone coming to life and seeing the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God is perfectly able to accomplish this without us. He doesn't need us to do it. And yet, because he is so good, he includes us in this joy. So don't hesitate. Don't let Satan tell you to be quiet because you don't know what you're going to say or you don't know the verses to go to. Don't listen to him. You have good news to share. And God's called you to participate in something glorious. The power of Christ, even in our stammering witness, has the power to save those who hear. The power belongs to Christ. It's not you. So the cry of Jesus at Lazarus's tomb speaks to the power of his word. And Lazarus walking out of the tomb is a picture of what happened to you as you heard, as you believed in Jesus. Paul in Ephesians 2 says that we were dead in trespasses and sins. So our dilemma really wasn't which option to choose, which direction to go, because spiritually speaking, we were dead. And dead people don't contemplate options. Lazarus didn't have any options as he was in the tomb. He was dead. And his coming out wasn't to the glory of his good choice and free will. It was due to the power of Christ's command. Jesus spoke. He called us in particular, calling us from death to life. And now, once alive, is there, is there really any choice to be made? You know, Lazarus is aware in the tomb. Is there really any choice to be made? I'm sure he didn't want to stay there. The call of Christ penetrated our dead, cold hearts, and we were raised to spiritual life. Paul put it this way, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. As a result of spiritual resurrection, rebirth through the power of Christ, in His Word, we were changed. We came to life and now our hearts 
they're open to God. Our minds hunger for His truth. We desire Christian fellowship. We long to worship God and to praise Him for His glorious grace. This is our spiritual resurrection. This is our new birth. It's the reality, the experience of everyone who believes. There's no credit, no boasting on Lazarus's part for responding to the call of Jesus. And likewise, for all who are saved, we must realize that it is the effectual call of Jesus that gave us life. And our response is not a cooperation or a contribution to our salvation. It is simply an inevitable, unavoidable response for those who were once dead, but then find themselves alive in Christ, now desiring His saving grace. And there's something else about the voice of Jesus. After Jesus called Lazarus out of the tomb, what did He say? Unbind him and let him go. We have been raised to life And we're not to go around wearing grave clothes. We still bear the marks of death and sin. But if we are to experience the new life to which he has called us, the old life must be left behind. And the clothes of death need to be exchanged for garments of holiness. Paul tells us in Ephesians 4, put off your old self. Take off those grave clothes. Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires. And put on the new self, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Why would we want to stay dressed in death? Have you embraced the call of Christ? Or are you still wrapped in grave clothes? clothes of your former existence. We need to realize that Jesus has not only called us to new life, but he's also, he has the power to make us holy. The voice of Jesus, the word of God transforms us. And so when we come out of the tomb, we need to continually hear his word, his voice. And we hear his voice as we come to church. We hear his word preached. We hear his voice as we go to his word in our own study of it. And this, according to Romans 12, will bring about transformation, a renewal, a renewed mind. So the voice of Jesus is powerful. He spoke all of creation into existence. He called Lazarus from death to life, and he spoke spiritual life into your heart. And we still await a day, a day to come when the voice of Jesus will be heard throughout all of creation for Christ has promised us this. He has promised to return. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise. Jesus cried, Lazarus, come out. And this man came back to life. This is our Savior. The Lord whom we trust. Our faith is in Him. His power 
conquers death by His resurrection. And on that great day to come, when Jesus cries out once more, it will be the voice of our loving Savior that we hear. The voice of our Good Shepherd that we follow after. And He will lead us into eternal life in the house of God forever. But there's one other detail about the words of Jesus. Notice that He doesn't tell Lazarus to remove his own grave clothes, but He tells other disciples to unbind him. And again, it's not as if He needed help. As if He couldn't accomplish that work without that help. But He graciously involves us in the process. A joyful process. So there's work for us to do. The power is Christ's, but ours is the joy and privilege to play a part in the salvation of others. I love how James Boyce put it. He said, we cannot bring the dead back to life, but we can bring the word of Christ to them. We can do preparatory work and we can do work afterward. We can help remove stones, stones of ignorance error, prejudice, and despair. After the miracle, we can help the new Christian by unwinding the grave clothes of doubt, fear, introspection, and discouragement. Are you willing to do this? Are you willing to play a role in the saving work of Christ? To participate in this highest of all privileges as the Lord uses you to roll away a stone or to unravel some grave clothes. It's something we should be praying about. And it might be really, you know, that's a, it's a massive thing we're talking about. But God uses weakness and simple things. Pray and ask the Lord each day, Lord, make me sensitive to how you want to use me the people that, come in, that I come into contact with. Or if, or if you put someone into my mind just to even text, as silly as that seems, that I might be sensitive and do that. Listen to your spirit. Let you guide me. Pray for those opportunities. And if you feel unequipped, then I encourage you to get involved, to be a part of the church Because there are lots of ways for you to grow. There are discipleship programs for men and women. There are Bible studies and home groups. And we talked about some of those opportunities at the start of the service here. And there are, I'm sure, many people who would love to come alongside and mentor you or give you counsel, give you help. So if you don't know where to start, come talk to me. Or or go on the church website email us, say, you know, what's available? How can I participate? But we need to be the church, and we need to participate. And again, it's not a duty. It's a joy. Let's pray. Oh God, our confidence is in you. Strengthen our faith. Help us to see Jesus as the mighty and powerful Savior that he is. Give us confidence, Lord, in his effectual call and his ability to take our small, feeble efforts, words, 
Lord, and bring those who are dead in their trespasses and sins to new life. How incredible. We praise you for your glorious, your powerful and awesome grace that this is what occurred in us. Whether our experience was dramatic or not, the spiritual reality is the same. We were dead and you gave us life. We were like Lazarus and you spoke. You commanded that we come out of the tomb and that we put off what clothed us in death and put on clothes of righteousness. Thank you, Father, that we are robed in the perfect righteousness of Christ. That when you look at us, you see his sinless perfection. You see his obedience to you. Thank you, Father, that you have given us the Holy Spirit, that we are not only set apart as holy, but that you are making us holy, that you are changing us, that you are conforming us into the image of Christ. Lord, give us eyes of faith in all of our circumstances of discouragement and sorrow and hurt. Give us eyes of faith that see and hope in you. Whether we know what you're going to do or not, trusting that your purposes are good and joyful. Lord, use this church to encourage and equip each person to be involved in rolling away stones, in removing grave clothes. Use us for your glory. Help us to see and marvel at what you are doing. Always looking to you with hope and expectant joy. Thank you, Father, for Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. Oh, it's a good day. It's good to be together. Uh, This is over, but it's not over. Uh, We began with our call to worship, Psalm 121, and the benediction. We're going to finish off that psalm, verses 5 through 8. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and your coming in from this time forth and forevermore. God bless you. It's good to be together. Good to see you. I hope you'll stay and um, connect all the more and encourage one another um, in the good calling that God has given to us. God bless you.